Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend. He makes it all happen at CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and father of the year, Xavier Trish. Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Uh, Going to be moving here pretty soon again, Xavier. Uh, but Nick, college football, we're in the, the, the downtime right now. I'm going to throw up air quotes. I know people get mad <laughs> when I say downtime because there's never really downtime in college football. We had National Signing Day happen. There's still a lot of moving and shaking. There's some controversy going uh, on at UCLA. A big hiring for ESPN. So, um, you know, that there's still a lot going on. And you even have a, a new show going. So uh, tell us about it, Nick. Let's hear it. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, actually my second show of the day. Second of three, actually. I'll be on uh, with Felix Sharp uh, after we get done recording here. Uh, so starting to, to move into your, uh, realm of, of just, got, uh, got one more to go to get day, to me today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, new, new morning show at campus to Canton. Uh, we're calling it good morning college football. It'll be most every day. We'll, we'll see. Um, I'm trying to talk the higher ups into letting it be every day. That's been sort of something I've wanted to do for a while. And, and because, uh, you know, most people have, uh, other, uh, you know, real jobs and obligations. <laughs> People may not be able to to come on with me uh, every day uh, at 10 a.m. Eastern. But um, yeah, we, we kicked it off today. It was kind of a, uh, not necessarily a, a soft launch, but we didn't do a whole lot of uh, pub leading up to it in part because, you know, a lot of time and energy was wrapped up in uh, getting the returning production database ready to publish. Uh, we did that about a week ago and uh, already is undergone a lot of changes. Um, thanks in large part to uh, you know our members who know a lot of <laughs> information. They, they look to us for some, but they can also definitely chip you know chip in and, and tell us where we've got some mistakes. So I've uh, been going through you know double checking, triple checking and more a lot of the uh, transfers, a lot of the guys who are, uh, you know, still have eligibility and are on rosters, some who moved on unexpectedly. Um, but yes, back to, to the original, uh, piece of it, we're doing an hour almost every morning. Um, probably will eventually be consistently every weekday morning. Um, just talking about, you know, news, what's going on in college football, uh, transfers will be a big part of it tomorrow, Thursday morning, we'll do, uh, National Signing Day recap, a uh, little more maybe in depth than, than what we'll talk uh, about here because, you know, we spend uh, an hour or two a week and, and this show will be an hour per day. So uh, we'll really get to dive into a lot of the nerdy stuff that, uh, believe it or not, we don't always get to here. I get it a little more out of you guys on our, you know, three hour conference previews, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, so who knows, maybe, maybe with this as part of my, uh, you know, to-do list each day, uh, maybe, maybe I'll be talked out by conference preview time this year. We'll see. <laughs> I don't think Nick, I, I don't think Nick and talked out are in the same category. It's just like me, right? Like I'm the guy that wants to talk to the person sitting next to me on the airplane. I know it's a big no, no, I won't do it, but we like talking, especially sports. It beats digging ditches, right? Xavier. So, uh, your, your thoughts on, um, we're coming up, you know, we just passed signing day. Well, your thoughts on the overall landscape of college football as it stands right now. Yeah. So, you know, signing day, I, this is, now this signing day doesn't nearly have as much of an importance as people, yeah, as it used to be. Early signing day seems like now the big spectacle, um, and this is kind of where teams clean up their classes, finish uh, ultimately, and kids obviously have to sign their national letters of intent. Um, you know, no big, no big, you know, scandals this year. No random searches uh, for people's parents to help sign their national letter of intent, like we had with Alex Collins a couple of years ago, right? Um, but you know, uh, from last week. From last signing day to now, uh, Ryan Williams, who originally decommitted from Alabama, has recommitted back to Alabama, the five-star receiver. That was a huge gift for Kalen DeBoer. Um, you know, that was a part of the whole, like, oh, Alabama's having a mass exodus kind of vibes. Uh, but he re-signed um, and, you know, ultimately committed uh, today. Uh, Dominic McKinley, who did uh, decommit from Texas A&M, 
uh, made it official today by signing his letter of intent with uh, LSU, uh, the number one player in Louisiana, staying in Louisiana. Um, and then we had some uh, we had some sizable moves. Uh, Baylor uh, moved up uh, a considerable amount to the number 72 class. BYU moved up to number 50. And Maryland stormed into the top 40 by moving up to number 38. Uh, but when we talk about the best classes in the country, we kind of finish with the top five that people, you know, people have come to expect now. Georgia finishing one, Bama two, Ohio State three, Oregon four, and then Texas rounding out the top five. Um, yeah. Other than that, signing day was rather calm. Um, just in you know, like you said. And yeah. I don't want to cut you off, but it's funny that you mentioned um, signing day a little less important because I was listening to Jim Nagy. We just had the Senior Bowl mm-hmm. happen, and Jim Nagy was talking about how there are fewer small school guys mm-hmm. at the senior bowl because they are coming up to, uh, you know, the, the FBS level and yeah. then going into the senior bowl with the Ohio state helmet or, you know, uh, a different Jared verse from Albany to Florida state. Right. So um, yeah, there are very few small school guys at that event. Dylan lob, I think was the, the big one lobby. Yeah. The running back from New Hampshire had a big week, but uh, more of those guys are going to the Shrine game and the smaller bowl games, which they also moved the Shrine game to to right next to the Senior Bowl, which doesn't make any sense to me because you're not getting any publicity on it at all, especially with practices leading into it. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. But um, yeah, like you said, National uh, National Signing Day, still very impactful. Right. But not the spectacle once was a little bit because of NIL, which is ruining the game, Nick, <laughs> which a lot of people are, are saying. But uh, let's dive right into it. Let's talk about National Signing Day. And let's start with Alabama Xavier and that move that you said, um, you know, about Ryan Williams. Uh, and he had decommitted yep. from Alabama after committing because Saban left. And then he ended up coming back. Um, Nick, just tell us about what all happened with Alabama in the signing class and how big of an impact Ryan Williams was. Well, so as, as everybody knows, I pay far less attention to recruiting, uh, than Xavier does. And, and, you know, uh, the, the team at campus can for sure. So I'm coming late to, to a lot of this, but, uh, Ryan Williams was a, a name that, uh, was discussed a lot in December in the first signing day. Uh, because he had decommitted from Alabama. Um, this was even before we knew Nick, that Nick Saban was retiring, but there was some initial speculation that he could end up joining uh, what really is a star-studded group of receivers uh, in Auburn's class. Um, but, you know, after Nick Saban retired, Kevin DeBoer hired, um, there's, of course, a lot of concern that this highly rated class might, you know, fall apart. Guys might transfer. Some even did, uh, you know, transfer out after initially signing in December. Um, but to, to end up with a class that I believe earlier today uh, and Xavier had some more updated uh, rankings, um, but was number two behind Georgia, uh, which is is. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> still in that sounds elite. about right. Yeah, right. Yeah, still in that elite uh, level. Um, DeBoer is is definitely uh, inherited a very talented class, but was able to you know keep some guys uh, on board that perhaps were considering other options. Um, and Ryan Williams is is one of the elite players in the class. I mean, I believe he's uh, number four overall in the two four seven composite. He's the third receiver but number four overall player um and you know i think 247 sports specifically has him top 10 so he's he's one of the the premier players uh in the class elite level wide receiver and alabama certainly has need at that position it's been a, a position um that's underachieved a little bit the last couple of years but then as we discussed you know, in, in previous weeks, uh, Isaiah Bond moving on to Texas, um, uh, Malik Benson moving on to Florida State. So, you know, there's even more opportunity than usual for a, you know, highly uh, talented player like Orion Williams to come in and, and play right away in what, you know, really could be an offense that uh, can showcase a player like him. Um, not exactly sure what to expect just yet as far as how 
similar this Alabama offense is going to look to what we saw Kalen DeBoer and his coaching staff uh, put together at Washington. But, you know, just looking at the success that they had and, and factoring in the, the fact that uh, Williams seemingly has a, a relatively uh, short path to some significant playing time, uh, he could be on the you know high end of, of uh, true freshman impact players um and to get that you know finalized and, and official today big big win for alabama xavier your thought like is this an acceptable class for alabama it's the first post saban class you know what i mean it's still yeah. ranked pretty high but we know how alabama fans are it's tough and they've been they've set a standard at alabama and you know i know a lot of bama fans still aren't happy that saban is gone but you know to, time to look towards the future. Is this good enough for what Bama's used to? I think so. Um, you know, I, I think that they they were able to hold on to the parts of this class that you were really kind of worried about maybe going in, uh, right? Your Ryan Williams was was massive, right? The fact that he decommitted, you know, took his time. Everybody thought he might tra- he might transfer to Auburn or transfer, might go to Auburn, right? He's a, from Sarah Land. He, that's right outside Montgomery. There's a real shot there that he could have been flipped as a, as a prospect. Deciding to sign was it was was huge. Yeah, so I, I think the class ultimately, you know, once again, thing all things considered, when you, you lose a coach of that caliber and you lose a coach who's been there for that long, you did see some, you know, uh, some massive decommitments, right? Obviously, Julian Sayan is a guy who decided to leave um, and go to Ohio State, but keeping Ryan Williams was still big. Nick alluded to it. It's been a couple of years since we've had really an explosive Alabama receiver uh, that we thought maybe might be, you know, league bound. It's been a it's, gonna, it's been a couple of years since Devontae Smith, and they that's a position group that really hasn't hit the ground running to the extent that people thought it could. Um, and you really don't want to fall into kind of the trap that Clemson has to a degree, where you've continually missed on these four and five star receivers. So keeping Ryan Williams was massive. Um, yes, you lost. Like I said, yes, you lost Julian Sand, but this was a team that you expected something to happen, whether that be that or obviously, you know, less of on the recruiting trail, but Caleb Downs also deciding to leave. You look at Bama's class, it's still an elite class, right? You still have got some of the best kids in this previous class. You know, Xavier Brown out of modern day comes to mind. Uh, you know, uh, Xavier Mincy uh, from Daytona Beach, a safety. Like, they're going to still bring in elite talent. And Kaylin DeBoer did a really good job of not losing the bulk of it whilst trying to focus on maybe one or two guys. And I, I give him a lot of uh, credit there because he could have panicked. He could have, you know, really just thrown, you know, the kitchen sink at making sure that Sayan and Ryan Williams, you know, came back while also, po- you know, possibly losing maybe a couple more kids um, who, you know, who still had to sign their letter of intent. So I think for the majority of it, they still brought in a really good class. They brought in a really competitive class. Um, obviously, the numbers suggest that they still rank two behind Georgia. So they haven't obviously had too much of a, of a downturn there in Bama. I, I think what's going to be really, you know, Kalen DeBoer's ca- calling card is what he what does he do for that 2025 class, right? This is where we'll probably see the biggest uh, difference in, in, you know, Saban being there or not being there. You know, we talk about current, if we talk about just their 2025 class currently, they only have really two top commitments from a couple of four stars. So he's got to really get on the road, the um, board that is, and do his job to make sure that, you know, Bama, after having a number two class this year, people are still going to give credit to Saban. What do you do when you're the face of the of the organization? You're the face of the school now. How do recruit uh, recruits uh, you know flock to you? Are they flocking to you for Bama, or are you going to lose a lot of these battles, especially in states like Georgia, uh, with Kirby Smart still being there, especially states like Texas, where you still got you know big schools, but you've also got coaches that are really starting to come into their own with Sarkeesian. You're not the guy anymore who's like. Well, I'm Nick Saban. I've got all these national championships. All I have to do is walk in your house with all these rings on my finger. Uh, DeBoer is going to have to come in with a little bit of a different kind of uh, of an argument when it comes to coming to Alabama versus going to a Texas with Steve Sarkeesian, who's now also in the SEC. So that's not even a plus anymore. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how DeBoer brings in this next class uh, after having, like I said, having really kind of saved this current class. <clears throat> all right. Let's talk about Miami because Miami – did a good job here. Their defensive line class is among the best in the country. Manny uh, Navarro recently noted in The Athletic that they landed three five-star recruits, Justin Scott, Armando Blunt, and Marquise Lightfoot, 
as well as a top 100 edge rusher in Booker Pickett Jr. Um, they also uh, he also noted that they had some great freshmen last year. Ruben Bain Jr., uh, defense ACC defensive freshman of the year, Francis uh, Magayo, a 13 game starter, Emory Williams. You know, so tell me about this Miami group that they have brought in, Nick. And are we getting closer to Miami getting back to that spotlight? So the Miami was a team that that jumped out to me in you know just just looking again at those rankings uh, because I don't follow recruiting super closely day in day out uh, for the first time probably since the the December signing day um, and that they are right there you know depending on which site you look at very much in the mix as a, a top five class and uh, I thought that. Uh, you know, the note that two of the best freshmen, most impactful freshmen in, in college football played for Miami last year. So, you know, Reuben Bain Jr. going through and, and updating the production point numbers uh, around uh, the bowl game. I hadn't realized it uh, from a, you know, just a week by week basis, uh, but he was probably the the most productive um, you know, defensive lineman is a, a freshman edge defender is a freshman in, in college football, certainly on a very short list. Um, and then Francis, uh, Muigoa, who, who, you know, was a day one starter, started 13 games for Miami at, at right tackle. Um, that's a, a major impact. I mean, there were very, very few true freshman starters, uh, on the offensive line across the country. And, and, you know, regardless of how that, that type of, uh, player may, you know, grayed out. We've talked about Caden Proctor, one of those Alabama uh, transfers, former five-star guy himself. Um, the, despite the fact that there may have been some struggles here and there, uh, starting every game as a true freshman is, is a big deal. So to, to have those guys in Mario Cristobal's last class and then uh, take it up a notch, at least as far as, you know, the recruiting sites and, and rankings go, bringing in uh, on the offensive line and defensive line building, you know, from within, like, like, you know, we should expect a Mario Cristobal uh, led team to do, uh, I do think is, is really got the potential to pay off. And especially on the defensive line, as, as you noted, and as Navarro wrote about, um, I couldn't say I know a ton about Justin Scott or Marquise Lightfoot or, or Booker Pickett Jr. Uh, yet, but I'm sure I'll learn plenty about them uh, in, in the coming months leading up to the season. And, and then I would expect fairly early in the, the 2024 season itself, seems like we're, we're probably going to see these guys. Uh, there's also a couple of wide receivers who it sounds like there are some high expectations for early playing time, Nykar and JoJo Trader. Uh, Zaquan Patterson, a uh, defensive back, uh, Navarro pointed out as being on uh, the short list of uh, you know guys that we can expect to play a lot early. Um, so we'll see. I did I did notice uh, Zaquan Patterson um, uh, had a uh, one of those cryptic tweets because there was uh, a Miami staffer, Alonzo Highsmith, legend there, who's leaving, had been the general manager. Uh, at Miami off, off the field role um, who left for a job in the, the New England Patriots front office. So I think those two were connected. And then of course, you know, I made the mistake of clicking on it and seeing all the people who were like, Oh yeah, you know, time to, to transfer to Florida state now and uh, wherever else. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's, at least as it stands right now and things change very quickly in college football today, as we know, but, uh, this Miami class, um, without having even really started to dig in onto the, you know, uh, the, the actual on field, uh, what we can expect from these guys, but on paper that jumped out to me and, and the way that they built this class, uh, with that elite talent along the line of scrimmage, um, I think is is uh, notable, and and we've talked for years that Miami, you know, has recruited really well and ranks really high in a lot of our talent uh, numbers that we pay close attention to, and more often than not, they've underachieved. Maybe I'm a sucker, but you know, I'm buying in again. This class uh, could could maybe be, you know, what they actually are able to to turn into a consistent, uh, you know, conference championship title 
contending type team and, and maybe even more. We'll see. Xavier, what do you think? Is this the, the first step in a lot of steps that needs to come from Miami? And, and do you feel like they're heading in the right direction here? Yeah, I think it's, like I said, it's impressive when you can still have good recruiting classes in what's considered down years. Um, it shows your ability to sell the school on more than just the right now, but what's going, what's coming in the future. Um, and that's maybe some been a problem at Miami over the last couple of years is they've really had a uh, had a rough go at it when it comes to recruiting. But when you're able to finish sixth in your ESPN rankings and fifth and fifth um, in the on three rankings and team rankings for uh, recruiting, that's an exceptional job. After you know not being a team who ran it, you know who had a run to the national title game or heck, you didn't even win the ACC last year. Uh, so still to be able to promote your school, be able to you know promote the U, you know as, as they say, then. It's really impressive, and and it's also impressive of where they got these kids. Uh, they went right into Big Ten country and snatched two, the two best kids out of Illinois, uh, the number one and number two kids in the country, and, uh, and Justin Scott, um, you know, out of Illinois. They were able to you know walk into Georgia and get some of the top, some of the top ten kids there, right? Uh, Nye Carr out of Colquitt County. Talk about speed. That kid's got a ton of it. He played at Colquitt County, um, you know, and they and more importantly. I think uh, to the long-term health and success of Miami, they were able to still stay at home and recruit to a high level, um, especially when your rival across the street or not across the street, but up the state, excuse me, um, in Florida state, you know, was right on the cusp of making the, the college football playoffs. So to be able to still pull out an amazing class when your rivals are having a, a real, not just a good year, but a great year um, and what Florida state had, then that's really impressive for me. Um, and like I said, they were able to still go out and get some really talented guys, right? You got a top 10 kid from the state of Mississippi. Uh, you got a top two guy from the state of Mississippi. You know, this is this is Mario Cristobal really showing his ability to, to just be, a, you know, not just a good recruiter, but a great one. Um, and so I think Miami, you know, I'm not going to say that they're turning a corner just yet, but they're definitely bringing in the kind of kids that you can turn a corner with. Um, you know, and more importantly, I think the, the most important thing they got Cam Warden, right? And I think that that's, you know, that, that comes a part of the recruiting cycle. But none of this matters if you don't get the right quarterback in. And I think that they got a kid that they can compete with, that they can go into every single week and have a chance to at least, you know, like I said, at least compete with and, you know, you know, be closer in some of those big games. Um, and, you know, truth be told, the ACC is a lot closer now on paper uh, than maybe we thought, you know, to start the year off now with that addition, right? Um, we're going to be watching DJU play Cam Ward. You know, they moved from the Pac-12 to the now playing against each other in the in the ACC. Uh, so that's going to be a fun watch. But Miami has done a really good job uh, to continuously, you know, bring in high-end talent, um, even in years that they weren't necessarily the most impressive team in the state. All right, let's uh, talk about a couple other guys here. Another five-star signing Wednesday was athlete uh, Terry. Are we calling him Busey or Bussy? I think Bussy. 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 All right. So Terry uh, Bussy landed at uh, AM, though an exciting wide receiver prospect. Bussy appears likely to play defense for the Aggies, um, which is surprising. With this addition, AM ranks 19 in the overall rankings. LSU had tried to flip him, but the Tigers were able to sign, as Xavier mentioned before, five star defensive tackle Dominic McKinley, who was uh, the number one prospect out of Louisiana. So a couple big SEC signings here, Nick. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, you know, as we said before, there wasn't a whole lot of drama uh, after the, the December uh, signing day, but there obviously were a few five-star prospects, and, and those are the players that have the highest hit rate, uh, you know, being first-round NFL draft pick. So it's, it's certainly worth paying attention to. But uh, Bussy was definitely one that I know, you know, some of the, the very smart people that pay attention to – recruiting uh, really closely at campus Canton uh, were bummed that, that it looked like that he was going to be playing defense. That seems to be where um, things are, uh, you know, standing with, with him signing with A&M. Um, so we've seen, you know, a guy that, that comes to mind and I have no idea if this is an accurate comp or not, because again, I haven't you know paid a ton of attention to this, but I remember Billy Bowman, you know, there were some similar, uh, reaction after he signed with Oklahoma was a, a highly uh, rated athlete uh, that seemed like he could potentially be, you know, one of those major impact true freshman wide receivers at Oklahoma um, has played defense started 
very, very early in his career. And though he's, you know, not catching passes as often uh, on, you know, playing on defense, he, he still does um, have great ball skills that have turned into uh, touchdowns for Oklahoma, you know, defensive touchdowns. Also, they get him the ball on special teams uh, as well. But um, perhaps Terry Bustier will have a similar impact. We'll see. He certainly, you know, the, the, again, on paper, the story sounds kind of the same highly rated five-star guy um uh, has a, a you know a lot of folks who are interested in seeing him play offense but sounds like he's going to end up playing defense and if he's anything you know close to what uh billy bowman is then then he's got a, a great great future ahead of him but uh the lsu note uh, of course you know getting the highest rated player in louisiana is huge um getting a five-star player regardless of position is huge but I thought it was kind of interesting, uh, you know, this is the, the the day where we get a lot of head coach press conferences for the first time in a long time, and the last time, you know, for a while. Um, and so it's always kind of interesting to see, in, in some ways, and depending on the coach, you get more or less, you know, uh, big picture thought or, uh, you know, real... Uh, in-depth answers to to whatever questions that are not related to the signing class itself. But um, there were some takeaways, I think, from uh, Brian Kelly's press conference talking about the interior defensive line. There's a, there's a lack of depth there. You know, they have to replace Makai Wingo and Mason Smith, two of the best interior defensive linemen in the SEC, guys who are probably going to be, you know, drafted uh, relatively high, think that they're going to be you know, quality NFL players uh, before long. Um, LSU needs needs some bodies there. I mean, you know, getting a talent like McKinley is big, uh, but they're talking about, you know, moving some of the defensive ends to the inside. They're also, Kelly alluded to, um, you know, maybe one or two offensive linemen. Uh, changing positions and, and moving over to the de- defensive line. So, you know, that discussion itself makes me think that McKinley probably also has a, a pretty, uh, you know, good opportunity to, to play some significant snaps as a true freshman, uh, in part potentially because of a need that exists there for LSU, in addition to him being considered one of the best interior linemen in the country and, and the top overall rated prospect in Louisiana. Um, LSU has a history of playing a lot of true freshmen, you know, that goes back a long time. And it, it seems like at least as we sit right here on, on national signing day, that, that McKinley is, is going to have an opportunity, uh, because, you know, LSU in particular, uh, has to, has to, you know, fill, fill the shoes of guys like Wingo and Smith and, and some depth that they're going to be missing there as well. Xavier, your thoughts on those, uh, big names signing. Yeah, I think A&M did a really good job, you know, being able to survive the, I won't say debacle, but the odd, the weirdness that was, you know, the whole Elko decision and all of that, you know, kind of hoopla that went around, you know, originally looking at uh, at Stoops and then obviously landing on Elko to not allow that to affect their recruiting. Uh, you know, they were able, like I said, um, in some respects, right, you, you lost Dominic McKinley to a, to a degree, but you know, that's one guy. Bring in Bussy. And this is this is a common theme. You know, when, when you have the when your thing says athlete on it as a as a player, you're really excited about what they're gonna do on the offensive side of the ball. Uh very rarely do people want to see that kid go to defense because it's like, well, you know, we're not gonna be able to see what because most of the time when you have an athlete as well, about 60 to 70 percent of their highlight tape is what they've done offensively or as a returner. So I understand why people are like, why are you going the corner? It was the sign. It was kind of the same thing that happened with Travis Hunter to a degree. Uh, people were like, no dude, like go play receiver. And everybody was like, <laughs> well, he, he, he might actually translate to a better corner long-term. So kudos to Bussy by, you know, going to a school that is going to allow him to play the position that he really wants to, uh, that, you know, that comes into a play a lot of times in these recruiter in, in uh, these, um, in these recruiting decisions is, you know, what school's going to let me play the position I want to play. He wants to be a corner. So go on and be one of the best corners in the sec, just not against Georgia, buddy. Um, so yeah, I, I think A&M once again, like we t- talked about with other teams, when you were, when you're a team that had to go through, you know, such a shift as losing a Jimbo, 
or well, you know, I would say losing to Jimbo, but obviously Jimbo, you know, not being the head coach. And then, like I said, the stoop situation, which is still going to be odd to this day. Good job. You know, you, you were able to keep a, a, a higher ranked class um, and Elko, a guy who, and we talked about it when he got there, he had to deal with, you know, Duke's recruiting. Now this is a guy who's going to go from being able, you know, to do what he did at Duke to now having some of the best talent in the country at AM. and you And you would, you would, approve, you would think that at that rate, the, you know, this guy's possibly the limit for a guy like that for sure. Uh, all right. So I just want to let everybody know that I think on the show last week, I had said nothing has happened. I can't believe I made Nick double check the news before we hit stop <laughs> on the microphone in the recording. Uh, but it happened again about an hour after we turned off the mics. Halfley leaves Boston College to go be the D.C. in Green Bay. So once again, we have a head coaching opening here. And um, it's causing some dominoes here because Bill O'Brien, who just became the offensive coordinator of Ohio State, is seen to be as maybe the favorite to take this Boston College head coaching job. So we have Bill O'Brien as a potential um, candidate. We also have Paul Chris, Jeff Monk, and Troy Calhoun. Uh, Paul Rhodes have been in in Al Washington have been in consideration for this job as well. And then if Bill O'Brien goes, we have the fallout of was calling plays for the Buckeyes coming into this season. So, uh, Nick, just just break down how this happened. And I know you you made a note here, and it 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 definitely plays to the old man narrative of these uh, head coaches leaving because hey, there's a lot to deal with in college football now. There's not nearly as much to deal with off the field um, if you are a coordinator for an NFL team. So, you know, uh, I, I think a lot of the jump to the league is ego driven, which I understand and am behind. Um, but there's that's definitely a factor as well. So let's just hear about this move and the domino effects that it has around college football. Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack. And, and I think that, you know, first and foremost, as, as a wise philosopher once said, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. And the fact that you Michael Scott, best, <laughs> best philosopher around. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we definitely jinxed it a little bit. I started talking first year head coach draft and, you know, do your research, get ready to go. We're, we're ready to roll next week. Uh, well, we're going to have to kick that, you know, at least another week. Uh, who knows, maybe more, uh, because this potentially might not be the only, uh, you know, or the, the last, domino to fall as far as this head coaching carousel now that it's it's up and running again but um it was it was a bit of a surprise when it broke one because it you know seemed like we had finally reached the end uh jim harbaugh was not a surprise and him you know moving on to the nfl there really wasn't a whole lot of that conversation uh, around you know why uh, why is this guy leaving? Is it NFL or NIL? Is it the transfer portal? Is it, you know, uh, how much college football has changed and, and uh, all this stuff is ruining the, the sport and, and all of that? Because, you know, we knew that Jim Harbaugh had been interviewing for NFL head coaching jobs for a few years, had some other, uh, you know, situational uh, things going on that that made it. Uh, seemed like it was basically a foregone conclusion that he was probably going to move on, especially after Michigan won the national championship, at least in my mind. So, I, you know, I was not uh, at all surprised. Um, but this uh, kind of came out of nowhere. One, because uh, Jeff Halfley, you know, Boston College, power conference job. I, I'm, I'm so used to saying power five, and, and I'm trying to break myself of that habit. Uh, but a power conference, power four, whatever we're calling it, uh, job uh, moving on to become a coordinator. And, and yeah, it is a, you know, step up in competition going to the NFL. Um, still it, it just sort of, I don't know, it, it hits different when you see that, that, uh, new somebody making, uh, that type of, uh, you know, career move, moving from a, a head coaching job to an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator job in this case. Um, it's not unprecedented. I mean, you know, I, I, I missed the opportunity early on. I, I skipped our 
Nick Saban joke saying that, you know, we got outbid because he's going to, to college game days. But, uh, you know, Nick Saban left an FBS head coaching job, Division One A at the time, head coaching job, uh, to become an NFL defensive coordinator, left Toledo to, to go to uh, the Cleveland Browns. This is a little bit different because, you know, Boston College, ACC, a little different than the MAC. Um, uh, nevertheless, this move, separate from the Harbaugh uh, news, really started the talk, you know, uh, loudly. And it's it's been a, you know, there's been chatter, certainly, in the past. But this one really set off, a, you know, 24-hour cycle where this was pretty much all what people were talking about on, on you know, college football Twitter, so to speak. So, um, and I do believe that Halfley kind of alluded to what some of the concerns are. There was an interview with uh, Adam Brenneman of uh, CBS Sports Network. He discussed um, how the job has evolved. He likened being a FBS head coach to being an NFL general manager, but also the addition where you have to be a fundraiser and you have to, you know, go in and, and basically raise the money for your salary cap. Um, and, you know, there are some, some quotes in there. One I, I thought was particularly interesting, this from Halfley quoting the, the interview with Brenneman. Uh, now I'm the quote general manager and you're trying to manage quote the cap. And you don't really know what the cap is because now you're fundraising. I mean, I want to coach football. I want to coach more defense than I did last year. And now it's just prioritizing again. I got to coach again. I miss coaching DBs, but how am I going to do that? Uh, and that's what I need to figure out. So, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of the uh, NIL and transfer portal and all is ruining college football is a bit overblown, but I think what's also true is, you know, guys like Jeff Halfley just want to coach football. Uh, don't want to deal with all the uh, off the field stuff. Don't want to have to, you know, recruit your own roster over again, um, you know, year after year. So I get it. I mean, I've, I've loved college football for a long time. It's always been my favorite version of the sport. Um, and I haven't coached in a long time, but I can, you know, fully imagine if I were even a position coach. Uh, you don't even like doing football. it on a spreadsheet. Imagine if you had to call all these guys. <laughs> right. I mean, if I was, if I was a, you know, college football uh, position coach uh, and had an opportunity to jump to the league, I would do it immediately. And I don't pay hardly any attention at all to, uh, to the NFL, but it's just, uh, you know, and, and it's not like it's less work but it's different work and it's, it's actually uh, the part of the job in a much larger percentage. That is what dry, uh, you know, draws these guys to the profession in the first place, coaching football, right? The, the, the X's and O's, the film study, all that stuff. Um, you know, me personally, I, I, this is a tangent, but mm -hmm. uh, I, you. yeah, not for me. Uh, I am like the world's pickiest eater. So I knew I didn't have a future coaching college football. Like I knew the high school <laughs> level was, was all I could do because I would be the worst recruiter in the world because I would show up at Order you know, somebody's house. Steakhouse, right? Well, no, I'd show up at somebody's oh. house and his, his mama would have dinner on the table. Even and worse. I would say, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't, I can't eat this. I need, you know, whatever kids meal i normally eat so uh <laughs> got any I, yeah i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't sign anybody because you know their their mom would be so offended that i i didn't eat uh the meal for you know that in-house visit so um but that's you know that's not football that's part of the the other outside stuff that uh some guys don't like to recruit you know well now some guys don't like to recruit they also don't like to re-recruit their roster they also don't like to have to worry about fundraising and, and all the other stuff that, that goes into it. They just want to coach football. So I understand that, but you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, there are, as we'll talk about later, still guys moving from the NFL to college football. There are still plenty of, of uh, coaches who, who do like recruiting or at least, you know, 
are are certainly willing to do it, or you know maybe there just aren't as many opportunities in the NFL uh, as part of it. But uh, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of college football. But um, you know, I don't I don't blame somebody necessarily for making a, a change based on it because um, there are some guys that you know just just they want to get back to, to coaching football at least uh, with the, the largest percentage of, of what they do every day. And right now as an FBS head coach, you know, that number is going, you know, down and down every year. It seems. Xavier, your thoughts on uh, this move and then just kind of also your thoughts about um, these guys moving to the NFL. Uh, is it a smart move? Do you think it is taking, is it hurting college football? And, and if it is, is the impact as big as people are making it? No, I, I, I don't think it. I honestly think that the guys who want to coach college football will coach college football. Um, and I don't think that'll change. You know, when I look at the, you know, the landscape over the last couple of years, obviously, yeah, you have, you have your Jeff Hafley's, right? But there's just some guys who are just good at college football, right? Matt Rule was the first guy who comes to, to mind, right? Went to the NFL, got a taste. It's like, don't like this. Got to head back to college. And I think more coaches will do that then ultimately, you know, we'll just ultimately, we'll just get up and leave to go to the NFL, uh, because as much as much fun as the NFL can be, it's a lot stricter. Uh, which what you're doing, and you know, Rule spoke on this a little bit when he was with the Panthers. He was just like, "Look, like my team is my team. You know, the, the, what I've got is up to the general managers abroad, right, and the, and the president, and I can't necessarily change it overnight or weekly or monthly, right? Like, I, I don't have the, I, I, you know, I have." have that option right i can't just go out there and get a new corner you know i've got to go with the guys i've got and so to a degree yeah where where the the pros has its it's the pros has its pros um you know the nfl uh or college football also has its as well um i think ultimately we'll see just we'll, we'll see the chips fall as they may um and guys like chip kelly who we'll get to into a second they, they've 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 been pandering around college football for a long time it's not necessarily all too surprising with his current uh his current change of heart. But I think for, for coaches, you know, at the high school level who want to shoot upward, maybe that opens the door for them. You know, as a kid growing up playing NCAA football, I wanted to be a coach in college. I wanted to recruit, <laughs> you know, and there's, and there's a ton of me out there, trust me. And there's going to be a whole new generation now that the game is coming back who realizes, hey, this recruiting thing is kind of fun. Now, kids, it's, it's a digital version, right? Hopping on a bus to Kalamazoo, Michigan might not be the most fun thing to do all the time. But it is definitely, uh, you know, an aspect of life that I think people will find, you know, joy with, right? If you want to be a guy who travels across a subsection of the country for, you know, seven, eight, nine months of the year, right? Maybe you've got the Northeast, then enjoy. You're going to be going to some of the smallest and some of the biggest cities within that region uh, to go recruit kids. And that's, you know, some, for some people, that's fun. You know, I did the high school thing, not necessarily as a recruiter, but as, as a videographer and editor. I, I traveled the country filming kids all across the state, all across the Southeast. Was it always the best places? No. You know, did I stay at a couple of motel sixes at the time? Yes. But it, it was something I enjoyed. And I think a lot of coaches and a lot of people will find that enjoyable. And so college football will have its cast of guys as well as the NFL. Yeah. I'm very interested to hear how Felix reacts to you saying Kalamazoo. Uh, that, that I'm looking forward to that. So we'll, 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 I'll report back. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> man. Um, yeah, look, there, there's just um, there's a, a lot going on here. And, and that was, of course, like I said, an hour after we finished recording Halfley Moves. And, um, you know, who what about the uh, I mean, I think we're assuming it's Bill O'Brien right now because he is the front runner. So uh, I think the big question is, is is Ryan Day going to go back to calling plays? Is he going to bring in somebody else to call plays? I don't know. Um, this might have been very contingent, him not calling plays, might have been very contingent on Bill O'Brien being there. So when asked about this, he kind of said, I don't know, he's working here today, so we'll see how it goes, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Didn't have a lot to offer us, so just your thoughts on what would happen in case that we're trying to get ahead of this now, you know, because uh, right. for sure an hour after we uh, turn off the mics today, it'll Bill <laughs> O'Brien will have signed as the head coach for Boston College. So your, your thoughts uh, on the what-if case here. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Bruce Feldman Wednesday evening before we started recording said that 
uh, reported that uh, BC is down to two candidates. They're still interviewing. They're interviewing in person, which is kind of interesting, a little bit of a departure uh, from the way that college football uh, hiring has, has gone in recent years. But um, I could not find uh, the, the name specifically of the second candidate. So it seems to be Bill O'Brien. Maybe I missed it, but it seems to be Bill O'Brien and a mystery candidate. So I don't know if it's Chris. Don't know if it's Monken. Calhoun, Rhodes, Washington. Files music. There you right go. Here. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll find out soon enough. Maybe by the time you listen to this. But I, I think there uh, Friday seems to be the day that that Feldman and others have, have reported. Pete Thamel's been uh, on top of the story, of course, uh, as well. But seems like O'Brien's a pretty heavy favorite. And getting you know back to to your question. Uh, I don't know. Ryan Day was under a lot of pressure. I, I, I've lost, I think, the um, you know chronology of of everything. But um, he was under pressure for a little while to to relinquish play calling. Uh, there was a thought last year that Brian Hartline would maybe call plays, had an opportunity to to call plays leading into fall camp, um, but you know, obviously, did not. Uh, hold that down. Um, Bill O'Brien coming in. I mean, yeah, I would understand that that O'Brien probably would say, "I'm not coming on if if uh, I don't call the plays." So uh, maybe this is if Day really does want to continue to call plays. This, I guess, could be a, a little bit of an out for him. But also, you know, uh, on the one hand, if you become a head coach because you're really good at calling plays. Maybe you shouldn't relinquish that role, but also, as we just discussed, you know, now a college so football head coach's do. job is is more and more and more, you know, not on the field related. There just might not be as much time uh, available to prepare yourself properly for calling plays. So um, I would understand and do understand when, you know, certain uh, highly successful former coordinators now in the job of head coach do relinquish that job but then you know uh, what is it Gus Malzahn every other year for the last five six years has given up play calling duties and then taken them back and we're now back on the he's calling plays and uh so we'll see I don't know it's it's probably something that Ryan Day really actually doesn't want to do uh but has said that he would of course with with O'Brien taking this job and and we'll see I mean at this late in the cycle who are they going to get I've seen some rumors that you know if things don't work out with the uh who's he the seahawks is who uh chip kelly most recently interviewed with that who knows maybe he ends oh, up man. at ohio state wouldn't that wouldn't that be something not only taking a job uh as a coordinator at the nfl but leaving to be a coordinator in college football would be i don't know uh, maybe even more embarrassing than than uh what what currently is is embarrassing uh at least certain uh, folks close to the the ucla program well i mean what a transition <laughs> you just gave me there too because ucla we were talking about this before i'm, I'm a little behind uh, i have baseball hell week nfl draft the senior bowl and all that stuff so i'm a little behind on uh some college football news but this ucla and chip kelly and um, you know, two, four, seven, was it two, four, seven putting out the report or, uh, the Bruin beat or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's getting ugly there. So Nick, just kind of break down this UCLA situation for us and, uh, might be delayed in our head coaching draft one more week. Uh, if this all comes to fruition, the way it seems it's going. Yeah, so I, I alluded to it, David Woods of Bruin Report Online, which is the 247 site that covers UCLA um, and has been a co-host of uh, the uh, podcast of champions for a long time, has never really been shy of criticizing either UCLA or uh, Chip Kelly. I know for a long time uh, when I was a, a more loyal listener uh, in, in years past, he was not a big Chip Kelly fan, but uh, this past week wrote just a, uh, you know, uh, didn't pull any punches uh, type Scathing. piece. Yeah, <laughs> that is that was titled UCLA's embarrassing offseason continues. He, you know, dove into uh, sort of the, the nature of Kelly actively pursuing other jobs and, and not 
you know, uh, other head coaching jobs. But the fact that he's he's uh, seemingly reportedly trying to leave to become a coordinator. Yes, in the NFL. Yes, other people have done it. Um, but uh, a little bit different than, than the Boston College and Jeff Hafley situation because, you know, even though it's a, a Power 5 program, uh, and I believe Woods put the, the number on it, top 25 job in the country, UCLA, I think that's a fair argument. I think that Boston College, not, you know, uh, most would argue not a, uh, in that realm, maybe even a good tier or two uh, below uh, top 25, but um, would just be, you know, really would kind of be unprecedented for, for uh, somebody to leave a job like UCLA for uh, an NFL coordinator job. But uh, that piece, if you haven't read it, I definitely do uh, think it's, it's worth the time, you know, talked about uh, criticized Kelly's tenure at UCLA, his lack of success recruiting the NIL shortcomings of the school also uh, was very critical of the, uh, athletic director and and other folks uh, in charge at UCLA. Um, really, you know, they had an opportunity to fire Chip Kelly uh, after they lost to Arizona State. Uh, did not do that. Now he might leave on his own for, uh, you know, what Woods would say a very embarrassing uh, situation of, of taking a demotion. Uh, he also, you know, talked about how uh, the move of DeAnton Lynn from uh, UCLA defensive coordinator to USC co-defensive coordinator uh, was part of this embarrassing offseason. So, um, yeah, things, at least in certain corners of the UCLA-affiliated inter- uh, internet, uh, are not not really going well. But uh, Chip Kelly himself, uh, kind of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a different kind of guy. Uh, <laughs> so... Maybe we shouldn't be super (laughs) surprised that he's doing something uh, reportedly, uh, allegedly uh, like this, Uh, but pretty, pretty fascinating to see how it plays out because if he doesn't leave, you know, then what? Yeah. Do you still want him? Right. I mean, it's a question now with, with all of this stuff flowing around Xavier, your take on what is going on over at UCLA. What are we surprised for? It's Chip Kelly. This has been a guy who I think has left every situation he's ever been in in some type of uh, in some type of negative light, right? You know, has the, the success he has at Oregon, seemingly leaves there for for the NFL, kind of you know haphazardly goes to Philly, is a part of what was considered a super team, right? That all blows up in his face, and Philadelphia Eagles fans are still not over that right that era of. Uh, Eagles football with Chip Kelly there. They hate the man, you know, you know, saunters back on to the college football ranks, finds himself back in the Pac-12 with UCLA, which at the time that he went there, and I was I had to make sure I looked this up, UCLA had just gotten into a, a, a lawsuit with Under Armour, who was terminating their contract at the time uh, because of the amount of, uh, because of the, the lack of competitiveness of their sports teams uh, back in, what was that, June of 2020, right? Ooh. And like the yeah oh yeah ah fifteen year two hundred eighty million dollar contract yeah. terminated because of that yeah yeah that was that was a fun little court case to follow when Under Armour essentially said you guys suck so we don't want to keep you as a school uh you know they ended up having to settle out of that then you know UCLA got the back got back to some relevance over the last couple of years right uh you know was able to compete in and around the Pac twelve you're like okay maybe UCLA's turning a little bit of a corner they they bring in you know the hype probably hit an all time high this year with Dante Moore coming in right. After that whole saga, they were like, yeah, we've got our quarterback in the future. We're, yeah, we're set. Then, you know, he's okay. They decide to play Garbers, and now he's back in the pool. Like, are we shocked that Chip Kelly, of all guys, has, has led this, 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 this kind of a regime? Not really. You know, and it, it sucks to, to see, you know, a university kind of in, in limbo as they wait for this coach to, you know, take a step down to a degree by going, you know, being an, an offensive coordinator in the NFL level. The funniest part is, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't see the NFL taking Kelly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just don't, right? I think they've done their I think they've done their college coach acquiring enough so far, right? You take Harbaugh, Jesse Minner got uh, announced as a D.C. yesterday, and obviously they took uh, Kingsbury uh, over there in uh, in D.C. yesterday. So yeah, I, think that, I think they've acquired enough college talent this year. I think Chip Kelly's just the oddball out. So what do you do from here? Do you, do you – 
Do you outright fire the guy? Do you, you beat the OC of Ohio State? Right. It, 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 <laughs> on, honestly, it feels a lot like uh, Manny Diaz at Miami all over. Okay, there, yeah. Where he kind of was just, you were like, he's got a title, but we don't want you here. And if we find something, and as, and as soon as we find something to replace you with, we're going to fire you. Um, you know, um, so, I mean, hey, it would be hilarious to see Chip Kelly at Ohio State. For you know, I've got a best friend who's an Eagles fan and Ohio State fan. I think he'd literally cry. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm all here for it. Let's let's have some more chaos in, a, in an offseason that I think is being chalked forward. Well, we also had uh, you know, I the one you didn't mention, Liam Cohen jumped from Kentucky uh to Tampa Bay uh to take the same role, OC to uh uh from Kentucky to Tampa Bay, and um we did get one the other way. The Bengals secondary coach, Robert Livingston is going to be the DC at Colorado, a couple other moves. Uh, so Nick, tell me about those moves and then anything from the transfer portal. That's interesting you this week. Yeah. Well, you know, Cohen um, in, in, you know, most would argue that's at least a, a promotion, right? <laughs> uh, the same job title at the NFL, um, but not necessarily great timing. He had you know been in the NFL, uh, prior to last season for one year, sandwiching his uh, OC uh, duties there at, at Kentucky in 2021 and 2023. Um, but something, you know, again, kind of reading through Twitter discussion, I think there was a little bit of a back and forth. I forget exactly who it was. It might have been Bud Elliott and Cole Kubelik, but there was some uh, mention, you know, Cohen was brought in as part of this conversation. Um, uh, and not necessarily, they of course are not on the side of saying, uh, that, that all this is ruining college football for, for college coaches and, and whatnot. But, um, I believe Kublik was the one who said that, you know, he had talked to Cohen and it kind of sounded like that, that, yeah, he was ready to move on, uh, because of all the, you know, non X's and O related type stuff that, that you have to do as a college coach, uh, that life is just a little bit better in the NFL. So get an off brainer. He called it a no brainer. I did read the full, uh, quote that, that no brainer, you know, was definitely I mean, that's, a lot of headlines, <laughs> but that's also like, what are you supposed to say? You're supposed to be right. like, yeah, it was a tough decision, but, uh, I came here. I, I guess you could say that, but yeah. I mean, you want to be excited <laughs> about the job you're in. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And so. he said uh, specifically, you know, to work with Baker Mayfield, who I have come to understand had a good year uh, in the NFL this yeah, year. Great year. Yeah. Ah, there you go. Great. That's, That's me saying that, by the oh, way. Good. Good. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, just other connections there uh, with, with, uh, Tampa Bay and, and, you know, the players on that roster and the quarterback position. So uh, that's good news. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, um, it still is going the other way sometimes because, you know, a guy who's a position coach in the NFL gets an opportunity to uh, be a play caller for the first time in a pretty high profile spot like uh, Boulder, Colorado now for Deion Sanders. Uh, According to Ian Rappaport, as you said, uh, Bengals secondary coach Robert Livingston is, is going to be the new DC uh, for Coach Prime. So uh, there's still, you know, our guys who are not scared off by uh, these other things in, in college football, or at least, you know, want that experience if they haven't had it already. One, uh, Steve Belichick just hired officially as the defensive coordinator at Washington uh, after a, a long career as an NFL assistant uh so you know it, it still can go both ways and and kind of related to uh belichick there his new head coach at, at washington jed fish left arizona who uh to to my eyes in the early you know going through all the the names and all made maybe the biggest splash in the transfer portal uh today at least on you know national signing day a couple of uh, highly productive running backs jacory krosky merritt who played at new mexico last season started his career at alabama state but had nearly 1200 rushing yards 17 touchdowns they also added quali conley who's gonna you know follow his head coach brett brennan from san jose state to uh arizona uh and then they added a you know former starter on the defensive line at syracuse kevin darton who uh his former head coach um, Dino Babers, now the office of coordinator at Arizona. So, you know, some pretty high profile additions there for Arizona. Xavier, your thoughts on UCLA and then anything that uh, piqued your interest from the transfer portal this week? 
Yeah, I, I think when, when we talk about UCLA's future, um, I'm intrigued by what's going to happen there. I don't. They have they're, they're walking into what's going to be a difficult situation, right? It's, it's not good to not have a united front as you move into a new conference. Um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, UCLA UCLA is going to have a tough, a much tougher schedule this year and and going forward than they've had consistently in the Pac-12. This is a school that, like we talk, just talked about a second ago, we thought we were returning somewhat of a corner uh, going into this past season. Uh, and, I mean, all things considered, they still went 8-5 and five last year, 8-4 and four in the regular season, obviously. Next year, what's – you know, they, they've got – my God, they've got one heck of a stretch at the beginning of the year, right? When they go to LSU, play Oregon, and at Penn State, they're, they, they've got to figure it out quickly. Um, yeah. They've got, to, they've got to find a way God, to – that's a good point. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, they've got to figure this out very quickly uh, and, and and get ready for what's going to be one heck of a schedule, right? Uh, UCLA also pulls Iowa and, obviously, uh, Washington as well as USC. Good luck. Like, it's not going to be a fun first year if you don't pull yourself together um, and, and, you know, and write this ship regardless of what happens with Kelly. You know, you can't necessarily be focused on that right now. It's just obvious he's made his claim. And you need to go ahead and get your 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 school together and ready for its first season, its inaugural year in the Big Ten, where you know the other piece to this and, and a large part of this is you know a lot of people figure it you know they brought USC in for for football reasons and UCLA was kind of just a collateral, um, you know that they were like oh well yeah we'll also bring you UCLA in with you uh, if we have to, right? Kind of the way that people thought about Missouri when Texas A and M joined the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, all right, yeah, you know, if 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 we must, uh, you know, kind of vibes. So, you know, if, if, you know, UCLA has has to, you know, obviously quell some of those thoughts, not, with, not just within the Big Ten, but also within their own fan base. Um, as far as uh, the, the transfer portal was um, concerned, I do love the move from Arizona. And this is what we talked about last episode. I, I think Arizona, you know, is going to be perfectly fine. The coaches, the coaching staff, I like. Uh, the, the way that they're attacking the transfer portal is, is good. And they're going to be a team that still, you know, can do a lot of the things that they did last year as far as becoming um, and being explosive. Um, and they're going to be an offensive heavy team. We, we know this uh, with, with Fafita and McMillan. Obviously, they're adding in, uh, you know, productive running backs from, from the portal. But, you know, I, I like what Arizona is going to do and what they're going to be able to do next year and how they're going to be able to compete uh, at that level. And, I think Arizona is going to be a really sneaky team going into next year. Um, they're going to just continue to and they're and they're handling themselves really as best as you possibly could. You know, thinking about the situation that they were in, uh, having to kind of on the fly create and get a new coach. You know, hire somewhat of a new coaching staff and you know hit the recruiting trail hard to to build a team that fit what you needed. So kudos to them, and, and I like what's going on down there. All right. I think that is everything that we have for this week. So like what are, what are you going to say? What are you going to say, Scott? What are you going to say now? Well, what am I going to say now about what? <laughs> oh, any oh. news? Right, 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 right. We got, we got Did you get any hirings <laughs> in the last hour? 10 right. minutes? Did you I haven't, I haven't internet checked. Since you I stopped haven't. talking, Nick? Come on. Go look. I'm, I'm just Come on. Let's I'll find it. Let's find this news yeah, right. that's breaking. Um, look, we're going to say maybe – on the head coach draft next week, um, depending <laughs> on what happens here, uh, 50-50 up in the air because who knows what's going to happen. But we yeah. will be back to see you guys next week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Campus, the number two, Canton. And Nick, again, tell us about the show, where people can, the new show, where people can find it, when it's going to start happening. Yeah, every morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, I'll be uh, going live for uh, Good Morning College Football on the Campus to Canton YouTube channel. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's new. I'm still working out the kinks and, and knocking off a little rust from uh, being solo more often than not. We'll want to bring in uh, some folks for, for interviews. Avianer and I have talked a little bit about he may be able to join from time to time. Um, so we're, we're still, you know, getting all the, the format together and everything, but uh, it's going to be consistent at that 10 a.m. spot. Um, it'll be almost every day, if not every uh, weekday, um, starting today. So it's out Let's now, our, our first episode, and, and I believe there'll be a podcast version as well. Uh, if not, there will be eventually, but uh, it's an hour of, of college football, just diving into news and, and uh, you know, offering some insight on, uh, you know, some of the, the things at 
campus to Canton, um, you know, digging into some of the content that other folks are doing, digging into our content that we talk about here, uh, but, you know, maybe even uh, an even deeper level sometimes. Um, and then also uh, highlighting one team every day. So today, because I spent a good bit of the, the normal, uh, you know, what would have been our first segment talking about the show itself, you know, spent 10 or so minutes kind of introducing it. it. It didn't leave me very much time on the back end to do what in the last 15 minutes want to really focus on one team per day. Uh, so today, Kennesaw State, our new FBS uh, program, got a little bit shafted, only, only got about five minutes. But um, tomorrow, we'll be talking about Iowa State, who was our number one team in returning production. Um, and if we were to, you know, do every day, every every uh, weekday from here until I believe mid-August, we'll have, you know, 15 minutes on all 134 uh, FBS teams. So that's something to look forward to as well. All right. We'll check it out. Like I said, at Campus 2 Canton and at CFB Winning Edge for Nick. Uh, Xavier at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, and at Bogman Sports for myself we will see you guys next week with breaking news that is sure to happen about an hour after we close the mics here so we will see you guys then take it easy everybody